listening to the music podcast with Dave and Neil. everyone welcome to another episode of the music podcast before i start i have to thank our good friends and sponsors Audira headphones uh these are the new crazy technology in the headphone world you check them out at audira.com that's a-u-d-e-a-r-a audira.com check it out uh welcome to a very cool episode a very unique episode because we're calling it the all film special basically because in the last month i sat down with a bunch of actors to talk about a bunch of movies. So, on this episode, you are going to hear me talk to Rami Malek about Bohemian Rhapsody, Jamie Lee Curtis about Halloween, and Joel Edgerton about Boy Erased. So, first off the rank is Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. So, if you've seen the trailers for the Queen biopic about Freddie Mercury, this is the guy who plays Freddie Mercury. You've probably seen him in Mr. Robot. Uh, there's already a lot of Oscar buzz about his performance in this film incredible, incredible movie. Uh, it's out right now. Uh, check out my chat with Rami earlier this month in Sydney. Rami, congratulations yes. on this film. Welcome to Sydney. Thank you. Um, I know you've been said before that you're actually a, you're a casual Queen fan before, before starting this project. Mm. Define casual. I, I wouldn't even use casual. No, I would say I was a Queen fan for yeah. sure, yeah. I, I loved uh, the catalogue. Uh, I, I love Bowie before Queen, so um, Under Pressure was a song that uh, is one of my all-time favorites, and, and then that turned me on to Bohemian Rhapsody. When I heard Bohemian Rhapsody, I said, what is that, and how do I get more? Mm. It's, a, it's a pretty daunting uh, project, I imagine, and I understand the first day was filming the, the Live Aid concert. Yeah. Whose idea was that? I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. How do you even approach that? Uh... With with quite a bit of rehearsal, I mean, that was uh, footage that I just kept watching over and over and over. And there were times you'd look at it and go, "That's never going to work. We're never going to be able to do that." Yeah. But uh, after you 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 kind of uh, get through that moment, it seems like everything is is going to be uh, a little bit easier. It was it was ultimately quite smart to start with that because it, it galvanized us as a band and and the crew saw that you know if we can do that there's uh, there's no stopping this team everybody was looking forward to all the, the future concert sequences and I know you work closely with Brian May and Roger Taylor was it more a case of you kind of following them around asking them lots of questions or were they kind of on your back saying you know do it this way try this neither neither it was uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor were just very supportive I mean, they'd obviously watched our audition tapes and, uh, you know, they had the ultimate say in who got to play them. So mm. I think at some point they respected our individuality and uh, what we were bringing to the table and they just wanted to promote that rather than detract from it. Mm. So what was the, uh, the most interesting part for you uh, working on Freddie, uh, whether it be physically or mentally, what was the most fascinating aspect of Freddie for you? The, I, you can't pin him down to one fascinating thing. There is nothing about the man that isn't fascinating. Yeah. He is ultimately one of the coolest, most fascinating, audacious human beings you could ever come across. Uh, yeah, You know when they say like, if you could go back in time and hang out with one person, that is 
by far the one person I, I would want to spend time with. Is there still stuff you're learning about him? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah, I still could watch do documentaries over. I listen to music in a different way, his music in a different way. Um, and then I, I, you know, I watch how he just uh, spoke to so many, and artists included. So I'm, I found uh, a relationship with other artists that love Freddie the way I do. Yeah. But the thing I've, I've found even more fascinating is just how, how kind I'm finding out he was behind closed doors mm. and just how generous of a human being he was. I imagine you are quite the uh, Mercury... Uh, I guess you know everything about him now. If there was a Mercury trivia night, you would nail it, right? What, you got questions? I've got a speed round. Can we do a speed round? Let's see. Can we try it? Maybe. What's, what's okay, what, what's Freddie's birthday? That's easy. Go on, then. Uh, September 5th, 1946. Bang, what was his real name? Farouk Bolsara. What did he legally change his name to Freddie Mercury? Okay, you're getting too ahead of yourself. <laughs> thank you. It was you, good man. enough. Yeah. Rami, thank you so much, man. Congratulations again. All right. Thanks. Pleasure. Thank you. The next guest needs little or no introduction because she is a Hollywood legend. Jamie Lee Curtis, after 40 years, reprises her role of Laurie Strode in Halloween. Uh, this is set actually directly. I know there's a bunch of sequels. There's a bunch of spinoffs. This film, Halloween, is based directly after the first film back in 1978. So this is Jamie Lee Curtis talking about Halloween, talking about how it came up. Super funny, super sweet, super kind. Uh, this was actually a, a fucking honor for me to chat to Jamie. So yeah, check it out. Halloween is also out right now. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Welcome to Sydney. Congratulations on Halloween. Um, this is obviously a slasher film. Yeah. You, however, have described this as a love story. <sighs> Accurate? Where did I just say it was a love story? Between Michael and Laurie. Well, it's an... It's a twisted love story. It's, a, it's not a love story from her standpoint. Mm. Uh, it's a love story from his standpoint. His fixation on her, which we don't know why. Um, I guess you could refer to it as a love story. Uh, it's, it's, that was, um, um, if, if I actually said that it was a real love story between them, then that was probably a mis, uh, thing I should probably take back. Mm. You know, it's a collision story. It's a collision between these two people mm. is the way I like to refer to it. Well, um, one of the reasons you, uh, kind of signed on for this project, I understand, is because, you know, it, this tells a, a very heavy story and the big T word, trauma. Uh, capital T. Capital T. Uh, is this specifically what drew you into the script? You know what? Honestly, uh, I I saw the poetry of what David Gordon Green was trying to do from page two of the original script I read, which had my granddaughter, who was a uh, runner, like a high school runner, running through the streets of Haddonfield um, and then running up to her bedroom to get ready for school in the morning and opening the louvered closet door and pulling the bare bulb. And right away, three pages into the script, I went, oh, that's beautiful. Hmm. My granddaughter back in the closet. It just, I thought it was poetic. Um, ultimately, after I read the script and I learned what they were trying to do and talk about what trauma really looks like and really try to put a face to it, an old, weather-beaten, um, sad face. Because trauma is not pretty. Trauma is not a power suit. Trauma is real. And we tried the best we could to portray 
cinema trauma, when in fact we all know there's a lot of real trauma happening all over the world. Mm. I mean, that's, I think, what's so great about Halloween is because, you know, this isn't a film that just says, let's try and find a way to kill all these characters in the grossest way possible. This is driven by story. The deaths are kind of just what carries that story along from Laurie to her daughter, to her granddaughter. This generational trauma, everyone has their own story to tell. Michael is kind of just, in a weird way, moving that along. Well, you should be writing, A, film criticism. B, yeah. you should be teaching at a university. This is on tape, right? Can we just make sure? But seriously, because yeah. that's the best analysis yeah. of this movie. And I've been doing the hustle <laughs> all over the world. That is the single best analysis of what we were trying to do. So I think an applause. Thank you. Yes, everybody. Yes. I think he earned the applause. I'm getting that on my video resume. You know what? He yeah. earned that applause. That Thank was you. that is that is this is not a uh, like a mercy <laughs> applause. It's not this, pity. Say what? I've had I've had plenty plenty of pity applause. This is not a pity Good. applause. Thank you. This is a that was well earned, well played, yeah. <laughs> um, well shot, as we would say. Yeah. Um, is it true? Yes. That, and I will answer. Yes, my, and my answer to you is. Everything you said, but pretend I said it. Yeah. Uh, 40 years is a very long time. Yep. Thank you. And I'm good at maths. Thank wow. you. Wow. Um, do you remember your first day on set back in 1978? Totally. And first day on set in this film? Yep, absolutely. Uh, the first day on set in 1978, uh, we did the scene of the girls walking down the street. Uh, the car comes by, she yells at it, speed, hey jerk, speed kills. And then the car stops. There's that moment. Mm. Uh, and then she goes, oh, poor Lori, scared another one away, that whole thing. And then it was uh, me and Tommy uh, at the scary house where I'm leaving the keys and Michael Myers is inside the house and then I walk away and sing the little song about wishing that I had him all alone. I wish I had you all alone. So that was the first day. And the first day of this movie, um, is a scene that's actually not in the movie. It was a scene between Judy Greer and myself in her office. Um, and the other part of the first... That was my part of the first day. It was just me and Judy. Mm. Is it true in one of the later Halloween films you guys actually tried to get the real actor, Michael Myers, to have a cameo? Well, it was in H2O. Mm -hmm. We just thought it'd be funny. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we just thought it'd be funny. Did uh, he think it was funny? I don't think he thought it was funny. <laughs> okay. And by the way, I'm not sure I would have thought it was funny either. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, really. It's a bit out of place. I just thought it was funny. Yeah. But I, you know, with all due respect, he's a very talented mm. guy. And so, you know, I, I don't think I would have thought it was mm. so funny. I just wanted to say, and I promise I'm not begging for applause here again. Well, you've already gotten it twice. I know, thank You're you. the only person <laughs> on the whole hustle tour that's gotten it twice. You've said, um, you know, that... Halloween's what made you. It was your first film. Morbid example when you die, it'll say it's Halloween morbid. actress dies. But it's not morbid. Well, wait to hear what I say next because oh, it is a little right. bit. Because I'm an well, I'm a '90s baby. Okay. Right? So I grew up not on Halloween. I grew up on Trading Places and True Lies. Okay. And A Fish Called Wanda. Okay. And My Girl. Okay. That to me was Jamie Lee Curtis. Or is okay, something like you're already that. gone? Is Jamie Lee Curtis that? 
uh, I think your legacy, it's incredible how much I, it carries through. You know, we talk about you being the original Scream Queen. Right. To me, you were one of the comedy queens. Okay, well, I appreciate that. That's very sweet of you, and that's very f flattering and complimentary. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is <laughs> that it is not morbid, because we're all going to die, mm. that to have one movie associated mostly with you is an honor. There are actors who never get to make a movie ever in their lives, mm. who want to be actors who make a living doing other jobs and you know try to get jobs as actors. The fact that I've had jobs as actors since I was 19 years old and that my first movie was this movie Halloween and now 40 years later I'm making another movie that's more successful than any of those earlier movies. <laughs> so it, it, to say that Halloween actress dies, you're going to say something. Yeah. If you're, again, if you're lucky to have a career that's, that's noteworthy, I guess. Mm. And when my mother died, it said psycho actress dies mm. because you get associated with that one thing. Yeah. So I appreciate that there are other pieces of work that I've had uh, great good fortune to be involved with, but Halloween is my... It's mine. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for your Happy time. Happy Halloween. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. You're lovely. You. You're lovely. Last but not least, Joel Edgerton, our own Australian homegrown actor slash writer slash director. Uh, he's behind the new film called Boy Erased. It's out on 8th of November. This is a really serious story uh, about gay conversion therapy programs. Uh, Joel Edgerton read the memoir, uh, Boy Erased about a guy who was in his teens. Uh, his parents were convinced that he needed to be converted. Uh, so this is a true story. Uh, Joel is obviously really down to earth. Uh, he's a fellow Hills boy like myself. Uh, but this is an incredible cast. We've talking Russell Crowe, Nicole Kidman, uh, Troy Sivan, and Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers is also in this. Uh, this was a really cool chat with Joel. Check it out and make sure you see Boy Erased on November 8th. Joel, yep. welcome home. Thank Congratulations you. Congratulations on Boy Erased. Thank you. Um, Writer, director, star, we know how passionate you are about the subjects, but initially when you were working on this, you wanted to be in the shadows. What changed? Uh, I just became dragged kicking and screaming. Actually, not kicking and screaming. It, the, the, the subject just dragged me along. It, and I, it, I describe it that way, and I'm not even exaggerating. I read the book. And every day after I read the book, I got up and I was thinking about it and imagining it, imagining it as a movie. Felt like I could help in some way, but I wasn't like maybe the one to write or direct it. Mm. And nobody else was putting their hand up for it and I kept thinking about it. And then I just started writing the script. And then that was a kind of a possessed experience as well because I wrote it in a hotel room, mm. like locked myself in for a few weeks. and. Uh, and then it was like it just kept steamrolling from there. So it was, I felt like it was, it, it sort of took me over. It's been interesting because, you know, there's already some Oscars buzz about it with the acting, with the film itself. Uh, I saw you at the Toronto Film Festival last month. Mm. And, um, you know, you were presenting the film and you were getting a lot of applause. The crowd went silent when you said, I wish this film didn't exist. Mm. Uh, how is that for you as a director as far as, you know, it's getting the attention that it rightly deserves? Yeah. But, you know, you don't think this is a film that you wish didn't happen well it's interesting because you know as an actor or a filmmaker or a storyteller and you when you're putting stuff out out there in the world there's there's so much of your ego involved in that and of course you know to hear people say 
they like the film. It makes you feel good. The, 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 there's a buzz around it. That all feels good. And, and so it's hard to separate ego from, from what, what is actually a very important subject. And just to kind of acknowledge that it would kind of be cool if this movie didn't ever have to get made. It would have mm. saved me a lot of time as well. But, mm. but, but, but really there's a chance in making the film at a time when conversion therapy is still very much a practice um, to, to shed a light on it. And at a time when, when state by state in the United States they're trying to shut it down and yet Religious Freedoms Act is allowing it to continue. It's very much still a, a kind of a, a back and forth conversation in Australia. Um, we have a chance at starting a conversation, uh, raising awareness and hopefully helping people to identify with somebody else's story in order to help change. Um, but it would be cool if the whole thing was not even a subject. So tell me about meeting John Schmidt, the guy based on your character. Mm. Was that a heated conversation? I mean, because when we're talking about conversion programs, it's, you know, it's absurd. It's, it's crazy. Well, no, I, I never met with anybody who is currently a conversion therapist, you know, but I met with John Schmidt, who had been Garrett's therapist and features very heavily in the book. Um, and, you know, he, he has a whole other life now because he's turned his back on conversion therapy. He's mm. left that ministry. He's still very religious, which is an interesting sort of in brackets topic is that, you know, part of what the film is also saying is you don't have to choose religion or, or homosexuality. Mm. You can't, if you, if you accept homosexuality, it doesn't mean you have to turn your back on God. You can hold both things together. And John is that person who's, who's doing his own thing to kind of help try and dismantle conversion therapy. So he was very open about what he did while he was a therapist. He, mm. he bears a lot of guilt about the effect he'd had on, on many children and their families. And I, I'm sure it's very hard if he spent every minute of every day for the rest of his life, he wouldn't be able to totally expunge that guilt. Because, you know, conversion therapy, a, a big problem is it, it leads to a lot of damage. And one of those, one of the big damages is, is attempted suicide and suicide. And you, you, you can't bring a person back mm. and if you've been part of confusing them enough or, or stacking on top of their own confusion of of self-identity that led them to that act mm. how couldn't you reconcile that it's interesting because the way you, you kind of do it in the film is that that these people aren't evil they think that they're doing the right thing even to the point where the parents were taking their kids out of these programs you know they're the the kid who gets knocked in the head with a baseball and they think that's crazy, not the fact that the kid's there in the first place. Yeah, and, and you know, it, there are people that think that the world is flat, you know. And you could laugh at that and you could see it as an absurdity and you could poke, poke holes in it, obviously, and you can, you can make fun of them. But at the end of the day, that they still hold those beliefs. And when you're talking about it, there are people that believe that you are not born the way you are, that, that, that sexuality is a choice, that you at some point through whatever, you know, trauma or behavioral influence from your family or, or, or because of your own lack of connection with, with your faith, hit a crossroads where you go, hmm, most people are going in this heterosexual direction, but for some reason I'm gonna choose this other thing. There's, mm. there's people that believe that. It's very hard to unpick beliefs. Yeah. And, and it's important, I think, for us in the film to be empathetic towards everybody's point of view because I think an audience is smart enough to sit back 
and appreciate what is right and wrong. I think if I painted everybody with some evil brush, it would be dishonest and easier to pass it off as just a piece of entertainment rather than a real document, a, fi a fictionalised mm. document of, of something that's very much going on. Yeah. Before we finish, I wanted to ask, just from a direct standpoint, obviously this is your second feature film. Mm. Uh, you're working with guys like Lucas Hedges, big up-and-comer. Yep. You've got powerhouses like Russell and Nicole. Uh, and then you're also working with one of the biggest pop stars in the world in Troy Sivan mm. and one of the biggest rock stars in the world in Flea. Mm. That's an eclectic group of people on set. Yeah, I just wanted to know that if I wanted tickets to concerts in the future <laughs> that now, I could yeah. get them. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's the only reason. <laughs> um, they were just the right people for the job. Actually, Carmen Cuba, who's my casting director, is very much responsible for, for a lot of the great choices of uh, bring, putting Troy in front of me and flee, you know, when I was looking for someone who, who looked gnarly enough that they could have been in prison and, mm. and um, you know, giving me these sort of left of centre ideas because quite often you're just looking at the pool of actors and then someone goes, well, there are other people that you should consider and Troy was one of them and I was like, wow, this guy truly is very special as a, as a you know, as a spokesperson for the LGBTQ community but, but as an actor... An Australian actor, another Australian actor who can do a great American accent. He was of the right age. He fit a certain place in that movie to me that I thought was very special. And along the way, when I was listening to his music, I was like, yeah, I've got to put some of his music in here just because it's so special as well. Joel, thank you so much. Congratulations again. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. Cool, man. Thanks, man. Thanks again. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks, guys. So that does it for the film special of the music podcast. You can actually check out all three of those interviews uh, in full and with your eyes on YouTube. Uh, again, Bohemian Rhapsody is out right now, as is Halloween. Uh, and Boy Erased, is, Boy Erased sorry, is out on 8th of November. Thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week.